Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 this morning. We're going to read the Christmas story. It never gets old. Um, reading it together. And I look forward to this afternoon. If you were on our um, Metro Believers Church Facebook page, you can see all the work that Steve McKenzie and, and Caden um, Rates, my son, did yesterday in just building. Man, it looks like an awesome, you know, pile of wood there for us to burn tonight. And then looking out over that view, you can just see that view. It's, it's going to be a special time together. Um, praising God. is all about. It's all about community. It's all about just spreading this good news and enjoying the Savior. And so I hope that you can come this afternoon. If you're not, um, you don't feel comfortable to come and be with us in person, this is a perfect opportunity for you to come and be with us outside um, and just celebrate the season together. So and there's going to be some good chili too. So there's some ladies this week that we're making some chili together. Thank you to Allison and Lisa for, for all your work in doing that. And so we're looking forward to that and some hot chocolate. It's going to be a fun time. So please come out. Luke chapter 2. Let's stand together and read this together. Matt was up here looking at my Bible last week and he's like, that's some big text. <laughs> he said, I'm getting there too. So, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. We'll stop there. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is living and true and is active and is still relevant right now. We lay, Father, we thank you for coming to be Emmanuel, God with us, to become one of us, to take on our flesh, to take on, Lord, Everything of who we are as human beings, Lord, you took it on, Lord. You took it on for us, Lord. Thank you for the hope of Christmas, Lord. Thank you for all that you accomplished, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's become a tradition of ours following my wife's side of the family's tradition. Every year... 
you know, growing up, um, for us, it was like Christmas came and, you know, it was about opening gifts right away and just getting, getting to it, you know what I mean? It's, we would wake up on Sunday morning, I mean, on Christmas morning, it would be my sister and I, and we would just get right into, come on, Mom, Dad, hurry, and they would sit down and, you know, half wide awake, and we would just get right into opening the gifts. So when um, Lisa and I got married, I, I was expecting the same thing. You know, showed up at her house, and it was like time to open gifts, and we were like, let's get to it, and um, let's see what, what you have for me, you know, type of thing. And her mom would take out the Bible and open it to Luke chapter 2 and begin to read the Christmas story. And I'd be like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, let's get to it. Skip the story. And then she would cry, and we'd pray, and give thanks, and light a candle, and pass it around. And, and you know, the older I've gotten and with our kids, it's become a similar tradition now where it's less about the gifts, and it's more about the gift, if you know what I mean. And it was exciting last year um, to have my parents with us. They came up and visited and had Christmas with us in our home, and we read the Christmas story together, and Lisa brought out a candle, and we lit it, and we passed it around, and each person in the family was able to look back over the last year and just give thanks for something that they were thankful for. And it was such a meaningful time, and it was a time of a lot of tears and a lot of smiles and just a lot of giving thanks and gratitude. So every year now, leading up to kind of a countdown to Christmas, I will just go to Luke chapter 2 in chunks and just read portions of the Christmas story. And I encourage you, even in the, in the next four days um, leading up to Christmas Day, do this with your family. If you haven't already, I heard Matt share that, you know, they've been having family devotions and, and they've been talking about Christmas and grace. Do this with your family. Jump online through Zoom. Zoom somebody and, and maybe read the Christmas story with them and just share with them. Bring them into your world so that Christmas can take on even more of a, a meaning than just commercialism. You know what I'm talking about. And so in this countdown um, to Christmas Day, in reading the Christmas story, I'm always amazed about how different details will just jump out of the page and take on new meaning for me. And this year, one of those details was found there in the, I believe it's the 12th verse. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Manger what that means that detail right there lying in a manger has just jumped off the page at me this year not to be honest it's been a really difficult week just putting all the things that are in here onto here so my prayer this morning is lord help me to share everything that is in my heart in a way that you can catch it because how many know it's not about, you know, everything's just taught. It's about what's caught. And so I pray that you would just catch this this morning as we focus on the meaning of the manger. Luke is the only writer in the Bible who used the word manger in the New Testament. Manger comes from the Hebrew word meaning to chew or to eat. It refers to a feeding trough. The manger was a 
feeding trough for cattle. It was a feeding trough for donkeys and horses and animals. The typical home in the town of Bethlehem had only two rooms. There was the family living quarters above, and then below, down lower, was the stable where the manger sat. And it was probably recessed into the hills in Bethlehem. The manger was cold. The manger was dirty. Animals lived there. It was dark. It was a cave-like setting. I'm sure that Joseph and Mary cleaned it up as best they could. I'm sure Joseph, being a carpenter and handy, you know, found some hay and put it into the manger. The manger was probably made out of stone. And they patted it and made it as comfortable as he could for his newborn son. But there was no way that this manger or this crib would have made the top ten list on bump.com as being one of the best baby cribs you could buy. This first bed for the Son of God was not a nice crib in a royal palace. It was a manger that was recessed into a cave, cold, dark, and smelly. I'm thinking about the manger. The manger was planned. At first, when you read Luke's account, you might come away from that reading and think, this must have been an accident, a fluke. Because Luke says Mary laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. But the way Luke tells the story, that thinking doesn't line up. See, God had centuries to prepare for the birth of his son. Micah 5.2 had prophesied 700 plus years earlier, but you, O Bethlehem, and I won't even try to say the next word, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So God had a good 700 plus years to prepare for his son's birth. For example, he could have easily arranged for a faithful virgin and a just man in the lineage of David to be located in Bethlehem in accordance to what was prophesied there. But instead, he chose simple people, Mary and Joseph, who lived in Nazareth, not Bethlehem. And he plans for Mary to conceive a child some 70 miles away, a ford to five-day walk, a walk from Bethlehem. To solve that problem, which God himself had created, God could have arranged for Joseph and Mary to get to Bethlehem in some other way. He could have caused them to have a dream or a family emergency because Joseph was from Bethlehem. That was his hometown. So there could have been a family member who could have called or um, sent a messenger and said, it's an emergency. You need to come. But God didn't do it that way. Instead, God moved Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem by means of a worldwide census, the first of its kind. 
In other words, God arranged that the most powerful leader in the world at that time, Caesar Augustus, would order everyone within the Roman Empire to go to their hometown to register. See, God is making a point. You think you know what I'm doing worldwide? You have no idea. I'm putting things in place exactly as I please, including the birth of my son. In view of that, it's crazy to think that a God who influences an entire empire to move a man and a woman from Nazareth to Bethlehem can't arrange for there to be a vacant place for them in the end. Planning a bed for his son would have been easier than planning a global census. But see, friends, Jesus was lying in the exact place where God had intended him to be laid. The manger was a sign. The angel of the Lord said something to the shepherds that was almost too good to be true. For unto you, and you know that words from the angel to the shepherds is to us today. For unto you, you and I, is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Not just any Savior, but Christ the Lord. For the shepherds to really believe this and to give witness to it, they would need a sign. And the angel gave it there in verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You will find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You know, when I read that this week, I thought, what? Lying in a manger? Swaddling cloths? Strips of cloth? Every other baby born in Bethlehem was wrapped in strips of cloth. But this is the Savior. This is the Messiah. This is Christ, the Lord, the Redeemer of our sins. And he wasn't born in a royal palace. Didn't they have fine linen, satin, or something to clothe him with? No. See, the sign was the manger. His Savior, who was Christ the Lord. The angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And that was the sign, a manger laying in a feeding trough designed for cattle, donkeys, and horses to eat out of. The manger is the way of discipleship. Let me repeat that again. The manger is the way of discipleship. The manger says to all of us, if you're looking for your best life now, money, possessions, luxury, status, and praise, don't follow Jesus. Don't follow Jesus. See, there was one occasion where a man came up to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go. And you know what Jesus said to that man? Great. Come on then. Let's go. No. Nope. Instead, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Translation, if you want to follow me, you better know that there isn't anything fashionable about doing so. There's no t-shirt. There's no 
hashtag. There's no photo booth. Nothing to post on Facebook or Instagram. The point is that those who want to follow Jesus should expect, the point is not that those who want to follow Jesus should expect to be poor and homeless. The point is that if you follow Jesus, what you gain is you gain Jesus, and Jesus alone, he's the all-sufficient one. I love how one writer put it. A proud deity would introduce himself on a well-lit stage with show business glitz. Bethlehem Night Live. Complete with multiple seats for an audience of fans. Desired applause would surely follow. And then the CD sales and the swag would begin. But a humble God introduces himself to us in a barn. Friends, this was a barn with no nobles. Nobody that was important. But a humble God introduces himself to us in a barn and laid in a hay-filled trough. No audience or applause except for the brain of donkeys. Instead, in silence, we all kneel and worship. A humble God is a credible God. A God worthy of our worship and trust. The next point from the manger is the manger points us to the cross. Think about it. Jesus, God incarnate, Jesus in the flesh, was born to die. The Savior's life starts low and ends up even lower. Here's another commentator wrote about the humility of our Savior. Even after he took the form of a servant and became man, he went lower still. As if the manger wasn't low enough. What did the angels think of all this? One day they blanked in astonishment as they saw the great creator in a manger in Bethlehem. They must have found the spectacle to be incomprehensible. Then as the days and years moved on, they saw a drama unfold which must have overloaded every circuit in their computers. One day, word came that their Lord was in Gethsemane, and one had been sent to strengthen him. Hours afterwards, there came even more astonishing news. He was bleeding on the cross of Calvary. That surely was the bottom, the very worst. But no, the next thing was the Father had forsaken him. The God whose whole impulse it was to wash away the tears from the eyes of his people, not washing away the tears of his own son. That's how it was from the beginning to the end of his earthly life. Down. The tremendous step from throne to stable and then the incredible journey from the stable to the cross and beyond it to the journey of the cross itself. The angels must have been saying, will this never, never end? How low is he going to go? How low does he have to go? And Paul gives us the answer in Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 and 8, where he says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus, you're going to be laid in a manger. That's okay. Jesus, you'll be an outcast and a stranger. That's okay. Jesus, they will nail you to a cross and your followers will desert you. And Jesus still says, that's okay. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Father. This is what it means when it says that he made himself nothing, taking the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of a man. Friends, this is how the Savior saves. This is how Jesus the Messiah fulfills all the prophecies that was ever prophesied about his coming. This is how Christ the Lord reigns from the manger to the cross. And as his followers, we share in his fate. We live with him. We follow him. We die with him and we reign with him. And this is what is in my heart today that I want you to take home. What happens to Jesus happens to all of us who believe on him sooner or later. Listen, friends, just as there was no room for Jesus, there are no room for his followers either. This week I noticed another detail in the Christmas story. In verse 7 of Luke chapter 2, why don't you just glance down on that. It says, because there was no room for not just Jesus, but what's it say there? Them and the end. Remember the innkeeper had no idea that the Messiah was about to be born. There wasn't any room for Jesus, but there also wasn't any room for Mary and Joseph either. Even that detail tells us a story. They are also outside the inn when Jesus is born. What happened to Jesus happened also to them. Friends, this is the pattern for the future. See, many years later, Jesus turned to those who were following him, those that were his disciples and even the crowd, because he wanted them all to hear this. And he made this statement. If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. See, when Christ calls us and invites us to call me, he instructs us to come and die with him. If we want to truly be his disciples, we must join him on the road to the cross. Remember in John 15, 20? It says, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. The challenge of Christmas is this, to be a people who deny themselves and follow Jesus. I want to read from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. So seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So just picture yourselves there on the mountain there with the disciples. And Jesus has come, and he's getting ready to speak, and this is what he has to say. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you and falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I stand this morning as we close. As I read these scriptures and pondered them this past week and just meditated upon them in chunks, the detail about the manger, the detail about there being no room in the end for them. The light bulb, the application became real to me. Jesus is attracted to humble things. Jesus is attracted to humble things, to humble places, and even more so today to humble hearts. God says he rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you know that Jesus is still born in mangers today? He's still attracted to dirty, cold, and dark places. And the challenge of Christmas is is to take this good news and to go to those places and share it. Jesus is attracted to humble settings. He says you don't have to clean up the stable. You don't have to replace the manger with a bed. You don't have to have an electrician put in some lights for me. Just come as you are. Let me take up residence in your heart. So if you don't know Jesus Christ today and if you're watching from home and you have not accepted Jesus Christ into your life and asked him to be leader and Lord of your life, I challenge you to do that today. I challenge you to do that today, just to pray and and say, Lord, I believe in the miracle of your birth. I, I believe that you were born in a manger, but you walked the road to the cross, and you gave your life upon the cross for my sins. You took upon your body all my sins, all my sicknesses. And Lord, I believe that as you were put into the grave, that you didn't stay there. Three days later, you rose again, and you are sitting at the right hand of the Father, the throne crowned with the King, and I believe that you're coming again as the King of kings and Lord of lords. See, friends, from the cradle to the cross to the crown, and that's the same path for us as believers. We invite him into our lives. We accept him as that baby in the manger. We follow him denying ourselves, humbling ourselves, because Christ is attracted to humble things. We take up our cross daily. We deny ourselves, and we love others. Why? Because this world is in our home. 
No political leader, no president, no influencer has the power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the Bible says that there's a crown that awaits us. There's a crown that awaits us. And we're going to rule and reign with our Savior, the Messiah, for all eternity. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for all this. Thank you for being willing to come. Lord, 2020 has given me so much more appreciation. for just how serious this is. And yet you're speaking through all this chaos, sickness, death, that you're still the hope of the world. Lord, may we grasp what you're trying to speak to us. May we open our hearts today May we realize, Lord, as, even as you were on the cross and you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, that there's an enemy that is alive today, the prince and the power of the year. Lord, that is influencing people. Bringing division and hate and strife and death and chaos. There's a lot of lost people, Lord, that are being influenced by this power that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, thank you that everything you did was about bringing us life, and not just life here on this earth, but life eternal, life abundant. We join you this Christmas, Lord. We take on this challenge this Christmas to, to walk with you. To walk that low road. To take up our crosses daily. To deny ourselves, Lord, that we might receive that eternal crown. So we can hear those seven words when we stand before you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You finished the race. You ran well. Lord, I pray that as we sit around the Christmas tree on Christmas Day with our families, And even as we reach for the gifts and we share our love for one another through giving, just because following your example that you gave. And we reach under the tree. We reach low under the tree. May us be reminded again, Lord, that you took the low road 
so that you could be accessible and reachable. Thank you, Jesus.